Welcome to season 12. We have a mission here at Focus on Women to elevate and empower female identifying creatives in the commercial photography industry. And how do we do that? By sharing stories. We have stylists and photographers, artist reps, and more. So come along and listen in to these fantastic women doing fantastic things in the photography industry. Hi, this is Tracy with Focus on Women, and today's guest is Jenna Close. She is the Director of Photography at Buck the Cubicle. Buck the Cubicle is a small but mighty visual storytelling agency who partners with values-driven brands to create video and photos that speak to your audience. They are based in San Diego, so she is here with us very early on a Friday morning. So welcome, Jenna. (laughs) Thank you. Glad to be here. And we also have our amazing producer, Shelley Waldman. Hello. Hello. Excited for this conversation. Yes. So Jen and I were just going back a little bit and trying to figure out how she came to us. And besides being a photographer, running an agency, being a director, she was she's also been heavily involved in the ASMP. Also the APA, Jenna, or just ASMP? No, just ASMP, but we we worked a lot with with APA. Nice, nice. So let's take you even further back and talk about where did the love of photography kick in for you? Was it always something you knew you were going to go into? Take us back to before you even lived in San Diego, you know, where you grew up and that kind of stuff. Sure. So I grew up in um, Northern Vermont in a really small town that probably no one's ever heard of. And it was lovely and wonderful and idyllic. And I actually, my first career was as an actor. And I, from the time I I was a small child. I wanted to be an actor. And I did all acting stuff. I went to a performing arts high school, performing arts college. It was like very, very single, single focus for me. And I did that up until my mid twenties as my career. And then I just kind of, I got tired of it. I, I think I got burnt out. I got, um, you know, dissatisfied with the way that my creativity was being, you know, the outlets that I, I had, I guess I didn't have the freedom of creativity that I that I really wanted. And uh, I just, I was, it surprised me even that I just, you know, it was kind of my whole identity and suddenly I didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't really know what to do with my life. So throughout all that time, I had done a lot of um, touring. I I worked in um, Eastern Europe and a lot of different places. Um, I actually lived in Africa after college for a little bit, doing some volunteering. So I always had a camera with me and just to document. And back then it was a film camera. And, but I never really considered anything career-wise that way. But I met a guy who is now my partner in business and life. And um, he was very into photography. And so he started kind of giving me little assignments when we were friends, like, hey, why don't you, you know, go out and photograph a story about this. And this was at the time when I was starting to feel dissatisfied with, with, acting and and so it became you know something that I looked forward to and got really involved in and then when I finally made the decision to leave acting to retire I thought oh well I wonder if I could have a career in photography I wonder if that's possible so I did a little research and I found out that it in fact was (laughs) and um, I went back to school at the Art Institute of Seattle which is now no more but was um, actually a great program for me because I was I was an older returning student. It was a trade trade school. I could just, you know, focus on the photography and the business side. And then John and I moved down to San Diego and 
started our first business, which has been rebranded since then. Um, but it was like 2007, 2008. So right when like everything was tanking, we decided to put out our shingle. <laughs> yeah, and that was what, 11 years ago now or something. So Right. I feel like a lot of people start in those times, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's a chaotic time, but then it's just a really good time of creativity and coming up with a new plan. Yeah, it it was. And you know, what we did is we, so I was very lucky to have some very, very good photography business classes at the Art Institute of Seattle. And I've since learned that that's not, that's not, you know, commonplace. Um, And I really just, I think, you know, a lot of my student friends really didn't like them. But um, I think since I was older, and I had already sort of had my own business as a as an actor, um, I really like, I really dove into those business classes. And, you know, at that point, one of the things that the business teacher was saying is, you know, he was talking about marketing and how are you going to present yourself? And what, at that point, it was all about like, what's your specialty going to be? And so I did a lot of research about that. And, and I, I wanted to do commercial photography. I was not interested in fine art. I wanted, um, I, I knew that I didn't want to be in a studio because I'm not particularly great at like product photography. I don't have the patience for it. So I knew that I was going to do something, you know, on location. I was actually originally really in, in, interested in industrial photography. I, I like the challenge of showing up someplace and having to make it interesting, you know, with hmm. whatever you have. Um, I really, I really enjoy that still to this day. And I like, um, I just like the world of work. I find it fascinating. So that was where I was headed and I did some research and I, you know, we knew that the economy was, was tanking a little bit, but we we stumbled across um, the alternative energy sector. And at that point they were actually kind of having a resurgence, especially solar. Um, and we knew that we were moving to San Diego. So we knew there were a lot of local solar companies. We could start small as we built up our experience and we realized also, luckily for us, that they had um, just the most abysmal, like, photography. <laughs> just, like, you know, the stock stuff, like, the totally. solar panel with, like, the dandelion or the daisy and, like, the child smile. It was just, like, barf. So uh, we thought, oh, this is, like, a perfect opportunity for us, you know, to, to do something different and custom. And this this industry is getting a lot of attention right now. And on top of that, we do care about the environment and things like that. So we thought it would be um, a place to start. So we initially, for the first three or four years, basically only photographed for solar companies. Yeah. And we started out, you know, doing a lot of things with like, you know, photographing their installations and just stuff like that, sort of landscape stuff. And then from there, it naturally progressed into, oh, well, can you do corporate headshots? Can you do X, Y, Z? And so we slowly branched out without even realizing it just through, through word of mouth um, over time. Amazing. I mean, you, I have to say being here in the Hudson Valley, there, there are fields of solar coming up everywhere. Huge fields filled with solar panels. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm impressed with, with the uh, East coast actually, you know, considering like that you guys have, winters and gray days compared to us, you know, there's a, Vermont is like that too. And, you know, San Diego, well, California in general really has a lot more surface area they could be utilizing for solar than they are at this point, but um, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So talk a little bit about 
you start this business with your partner and you're focused on solar, but are you kind of at that point, when did you become part of the community? You know, like when did you kind of reach out and start making those connections with the organizations? Oh, I started that actually, that was another lucky thing about school is my business teacher uh, was a former national board member of ASMP. And yeah, so he actually, you know, he encouraged us to go to the local chapter meetings, which I did, but I, I was, you know, kind of a, I was a student. I was a little nervous. These were all like big wig guys and they were, everyone was very nice, but um, I didn't um, make huge inroads in Seattle also because I knew I wasn't going to stay there, but <laughs> I knew about ASMP. I was a member, a student member um, because it was very cheap and very useful. And when I came to see San Diego I didn't know anybody so the first thing I did was look up the local chapter um and and jump right on the local board basically um yeah so and that opened the door some of my closest photographer friends are from you know that that time um and there's an APA chapter here as well and and both chapters um work together and coordinate so I met a lot of APA people too and um soon after that got shuffled onto the shunted toward the national board as, as, as they do. So, yeah, so I was in it from the beginning and really it's the organizations. I mean, I, I wish that I could impress on up and coming photographers, how important they are. Like they just, I mean, you have to, you have to put effort into it. You need to meet people. You need to, you know, you can't just look at their offerings online and think that that's going to be entirely fulfilling, but they, I wouldn't be a photographer if it weren't for those, those organizations. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, Agree. Obviously, one of our co-founders is on the national board of yeah. the APA, so we feel the importance too. And I think you're right. It's very rare the school you went to having business classes. That is not something Shelley and I hear from any of the other people who've gone to any of the other art schools. Um, you kind of leave with that impression of, okay, now what? What do I do? How do I get started? Yeah, and that's scary because it's not, you know, really like the focus is on the creative stuff, which I get, you know, that's, that's where the joy is, but, but you aren't going to be, you aren't going to be able to make a living doing that if you don't understand business. And I think if, even if people don't have a business, if they're in school and they don't have like a specific photography business class, you know, take us, take a small business business class, take a generic business class if you can, just so you understand the basic concept of, of what this entails. And really like the business side of it is, you know, 80% of it, the, the shooting is 20. That's what I always tell people. It's like, you've got to, you've got to be able to, you know, get a handle on that right away. Right. Yeah. Right. So when did Buck the Cubicle come into play? So, so the first company that John and I, my partner started was called P2 Photography. It was an unfortunate name and uh, we were glad to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> but, and so we, I don't know what we were thinking, um, but we, uh, so we started that and we had that company, the two of us for, I guess, six years, maybe about six or seven years. And um, we just got, got to where we were, we were shooting, you know, we were making a living, we were fine, but we were, we were not photographing anything that really made us buzz. You know, we were just taking the jobs that came that were reasonable and we were shooting a wide variety of things but we had become like very generalist over time just just because that's what we had to do and so we were feeling in this real creative slump about whether we even wanted to keep doing this and 
at that time I had met Meredith, who is our other partner at Buck the Cubicle. And um, she was a rep and she, um, she asked if she could rep us. And we decided that we would try that and see if, you know, adding a third person would just help, you know, help us get some ideas about how to make it fun again. And she um, suggested that we do a personal project. And previously we would always kind of started personal projects and then sometimes finished them, sometimes not, you know, depending on the course of the year. And so we just decided to go whole hog into this personal project. And we were also now accountable to Meredith. So that made a difference. You know, we weren't just accountable to each other. And the personal project was called Buck the Cubicle. And it was a series of videos about people who are, have really odd jobs or hobbies, but they are like singularly passionate about them. And it ended up, it was so much fun. It ended up taking us, you know, from um, New Mexico all the way to the Arctic Circle in Sweden. And, and yeah, we spent a number of years doing that and it was just revitalizing and it was a very popular series as well. And this was video series, by the way, when we were done with it, we just thought, wow, like if, if we could do that, you know, if we could, if we could tell stories like that, that's, that would be great. But we didn't, we were reluctant to take a established seven or eight year old business and, you know, upend it. So we didn't know how to do it. So another happenstance um meeting i um i was on the national board at the time and i met selena maitreya who's a consultant and she was she's retired now and she uh happened to be coming to speak at asmp san diego so i went to say hi and john my partner won a raffle ticket for a one-hour consult at this meeting and so we <laughs> sat down and she said and we were explaining all this stuff to her and she said well, why don't you just become Buck the Cubicle? And it had, and and it was like, it was like we needed permission somehow. And we were just like, oh, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, and we thought about it uh, and we decided to take the leap, you know, and we, we were always pretty good about, you know, assessing risk and challenge and change, but then not, not being afraid to go forward with it. Um, we've done that a few times in our, business but this was like basically taking our entire business and it's a rebranding but it's essentially a whole new business we started over the whole new name whole new social media all that stuff um and at that point meredith decided she didn't want to rep anybody but us anymore so she just became a partner in the company when we when we started the new company so the three of us are co-owners and um selena helped us over the year with um with everything we needed all of our you know, mission statements, visualize. So we just really like, we went, we went at it in a different way than we had with P2. We knew a lot more and we really, we started Buck the Cubicle with a lot more clarity about what we were going to be about and what we were and were not willing to do, if that makes sense. And that was, um, oddly, right before the pandemic. <laughs> so we had a year of Buck the Cubicle under our belt as, a, as an operating real business and then COVID hit. So um, we're still kind of figuring out whether it's going to work. I mean, you know, we're all making a living. We're all, we're all doing okay, but it's been up and down, like just because of the last two years have been weird. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, we'll see where it goes. But um, at this point, we're just, you know, trying to see what's going to happen. Everything's in such flux at the moment. So you did such extensive research when starting the first business and figuring out, like, let's go after solar in the beginning. How did that research look when you decided to 
basically move in this new direction of Buck the Cubicle. You mean how did how did we research for Buck the Cubicle? Yeah, how did you take the personal project that you'd already like found these people doing these interesting things and then turn that into, okay, how are we going to get business doing this thing? Yep. So we, um, we had already started to get a sense of like, you know, we have a certain specific style of storytelling um, and, and of shooting. And we had started to get a sense that there were certain types of companies that gravitated toward that and certain types that didn't. Like we we tend to really push people to use real people. We don't do a lot of models and casting. You know, we have, um, it's it's not editorial, but it's a more editorial style. There's not a lot of lighting and, um, you know, there's some, but it's not, it's polished in a, in a natural way, I guess is, is how I would explain it. And so we had already started to get a sense of what types of companies might relate to that. Um, but then we also just decided, and I think this is because we had been in such a slump, like we decided like if we were going to keep working in this field we wanted to work for we wanted to have some you know some client base that really um inspired us like we wanted we wanted to do something we were passionate about and that you know when we talked about it all three of us are are really passionate about um, human rights and um, sustainability and social justice and environmental justice and you know, all these kind of things where, um, so we took, we took Buck the Cubicle, the project, which was just more about general passion and creativity and people, you know, bucking the cubicle, bucking the system and just doing what they love. And we thought, how do we, how do we present brands with that? Like what kind of brands are going to be interested in that sort of thing? And so we, we basically, we just kind of married those two ideas and it was, it was so organic. I'm having a little trouble articulating exactly how. But we did do some research. We looked at, you know, we, we discovered that there's a movement called the, pur like there's the purpose-driven movement or values-driven movement, which is companies that are brands that are trying to do something beyond just make a profit. So they, and, and legitimately they, they're, you know, so say Patagonia, who's working with national parks and environmental stewardship or Ben and Jerry's, which has a huge social justice arm that they've had forever. Um, so we started looking, at companies like that to see what kind of marketing they were doing and uh, whether there were enough of them to, you know, sustain us. And this was kind of at the beginning of this movement. It's become a much larger, much larger thing now. Um, and we realized that there were, and we just got into it. Like it was interesting and, it, and the people were fascinating and what they were doing. And we realized there's everything from startups to established companies working on this. We found a couple of um, conferences that they have that we went to just to see what people were talking about, see what brands were there. Um, and a couple of those conferences we, we go to regularly and we've even spoken at since then um, because the biggest thing we realized is that those brands um, are doing great work, but they were struggling with how to market and talk about the good work that they were doing. So it used to be that they, if you talked about like environmental stewardship, you know, lots of consumers would be like, oh, that's, oh, like hippie tree hugger, eh, you know? And so they, they were really kind of burned by that whole thing. And so they were very, they were just having conversations about how do we, how do we tell these stories? Because now a lot of consumers do in fact 
vote with their wallet, you know, and we need to tell these stories now and it's the appropriate time, but how do we do it without turning people off? And so we actually just kind of, we were interested in that challenge and we got in on that conversation. Um, so it grew organically, but we did look at whether this was a viable avenue. And we also had some conversations about like what we will and won't do. Like if this is going to be our mission and this is what we stand for, you know, are there companies that we simply will not work for no matter what they're doing? And, and are there companies that we want to target that we love what they're doing? And I think um, Selena said a, a thing that really um, kind of blew my mind at the time because I had never thought about my business in this way. But she said, when you're contacting these people, you are deciding if you're the right, if they're the right fit for you not trying to tell them that you are the right fit for them. And so we approached building our list and, and researching researching the marketplace with that in mind. And I still kind of put that in the forefront of my mind when I'm reaching out to clients is that we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna have to say no, we're, we're gonna have to take those risks, but we're looking for the companies that are right for us. And it just changed some, it just subtly shifted the whole way I, I looked at, at the whole business. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great tip for everyone out there to think about because you really do the best work when you're passionate about it or you have something invested in it a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it is an interesting way, right? To think about like, I'll, I only want to work with these clients for these reasons. And I'm going to be okay with saying no to these clients for these reasons. And I think that comes over time. You definitely learn that lesson eventually as a photographer. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I would definitely say that, you know, we were lucky enough at that point to be established enough where we could say no. I mean, in the beginning, first four or five years we were in business, we took every every job that was within a reasonable range of pricing, you know, because that's just what you have to do. And I don't think that you need to, you know, panic about doing that. Um, that's the way that you survive, especially now. It's a, it's a really wacky business right now. Um but later on, when we got burnt out, it just became like, okay, you know, let's take this step and let's, and, let, and we really looked at our financials and we looked at how many of us were now in the company. And we looked at, you know, what can we do when we're starting up? Like, does, do we have to get, you know, we agreed that if we have to get an outside industry part-time job to get Buck the Cubicle off its feet, then that's worth it. And, you know, and so then COVID happened and, and Meredith got a part-time job and, you know, we were just hanging on by our thread and what, you know, that blew everything up. But, but um, we were willing in a sense to, um, to sacrifice some things to, to get the business going in the direction that we wanted to. And yeah, it really was invigorating. It brought all the passion back for me that I had lost over the years of like, you know, let's go tell these stories because they're just awesome and they need to be told. I'm very curious, Jenna, about, you know, now you're three owners, right? You're three partners. But originally when you went on this journey, it was you getting self-assignments. And then you had um, John who kind of came on as a partner, both for life and business. And I want to hear a little bit about how that relationship changed when you were kind of just friends, then you were, you know, partners, both in business and life and how that dynamic worked. And then what was that conversation when then you did take on a third partner? Because there's a, there's a shift again. So, so John and I, um, yeah, we were like friends first, then partners at the same time we were starting the business. So then life and business partners. And we both, um, we are lucky in the sense that our aesthetic style and the things that we find interesting 
are um, very compatible, but we have vastly different actual skill sets. <laughs> so, and it kind of, I mean, it kind of works. So like John is um, very, very good at technical stuff like lighting. He can build anything. We call him our, our MacGyver. You know, if we're on set and we're like, shoot, I want to put a light over here and whatever, he'll just make it happen with tape and whatever he finds around if he needs to. So, he, and whereas I am like, no one would trust me with that ever. Anyone who knows me, I'm much more of like, I'm kind of the, the front facing. I like to chat with the clients. You know, John's very quiet. He doesn't really like to do the small talk thing. So I chat with the clients and he, you know, does some setup. I am uh, not mathematical or technical in any ways. I mean, I, I can, I do it enough. I've learned my craft, but as soon as it, as soon as there's a challenge that's outside of the normal realm, then I just look at him and say, can you fix that? Um, so, so that kind of developed just over time, like working together. Um, we, in the beginning, definitely struggled to f for a little bit to, you know, we had to get the kinks out to figure out who, who was good where and how to streamline what we, uh, uh, what our talents were like on set. And, and then of course, in the beginning, when you're first starting, you're also nervous and you're just, you know, inexperienced. And so, yeah, we had, we had some, you know, we had some kinks to work out for sure, but um, we just, um, yeah, we just always kept open communication um, and we, uh, and we just sort of naturally figured out how we work best together. Uh, and then as far as, so we, we don't have a studio because we don't really do studio type stuff. So we have an office in our house. And um, so we live and work together. So what we actually do is take our vacations separately. <laughs> that's like the one time when, we're, when we, you know, are not together 24 seven. So that's kind of how it's fallen into place over the years. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it was just about finding e each person's strength and, and then, figuring out how to fill in the gaps around that. And one of the main gaps that we had is that neither of us are particularly fond of or particularly good at marketing or negotiating. So especially negotiating, I used to do it and I would just be, oh, it's a sweaty mess at the beginning. It's just awful. It's like the worst thing. Um, and that's where Meredith fell in like to the, to the final piece. So Meredith is what we call our executive producer, but she basically does all the client side um, paperwork and negotiating. And then she also is a, is a producer if needed for certain jobs. And um, so she just, I don't know, she just fit in perfectly because she, she took the negotiating and marketing side. And I mean, she, she would just routinely get us numbers on, on jobs that we wouldn't have even fathomed asking for. And I think that's actually a really important thing for people to consider is whether you have a rep, whether you have a person who's just good at marketing, even if they're a student, if you can at all remove yourself from that, from the um, pricing and negotiating side of it and have somebody else do it for you, it will change your life. Because I think, I know at least for myself, um, I'm too close to the work. I'm too close to whether or not I want the job. I'm too close to whether or not I like the company. And it's very hard to step away. Plus, it's just not my skill set. And so having somebody who's very good at that, who likes doing it, and it doesn't have to be me, which is awesome, <laughs> um, made a huge difference for us. I mean, it just changed the whole dynamic of the business. Um, we also just get along really well. We have we have um, similar 
uh, aesthetics and tastes and sense of humor and whatnot. So, so I don't, there, I don't think that there's a tried and true way that you, that you fill people in, you know, add people to your, to your company, except that we, um, so Meredith lives in Bellingham, Washington. So she's not even local, but we talk on the phone once a week and she comes down or we go up once a year at least. And we see her on jobs and you just keeping the communication open and making sure that however you're structuring your business, whether people are partners or they're independent contractors or however you're doing that, that you have a very, very clear set of um, guidelines and expectations, you know? So, so for example, because Meredith is remote and John and I live together, (laughs) um, you know, two opposite sides of, of that spectrum, you know, we have a rule where like, John and I are allowed to spend a hundred dollars of the company money on something we might need without checking with Meredith. But if we're going to make a bigger purchase, we have to run it by all three of us. So little things like that, that streamline the relationship, make sure nobody's left out, make sure everybody's part of the decisions and then make sure that everybody's job description is very clear. So Meredith leaves the creative stuff to us and we don't mess with the negotiating stuff unless she feels like, really have the question about whether or not we want to do something, then she'll, then she'll come back to us. But otherwise we just leave her alone to do her job. Does that make sense? Yeah. It sounds like you've really defined, like you said, leaning into what each of you enjoy doing and what each person does really well and leaning into those strengths, which I think is important to recognize what you like to do versus what you're good at versus what you, uh, you know, would prefer to do because, um, speaking of myself, like I'm a super multi-passionate and I like a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily mean I should be doing all of them. Yeah, that's the, those are very good distinctions. So our roles are now, you know, fairly clear and, um, you know, and so far it's been, it's been working and also like having fun, you know, like we just, we just laugh a lot, which I think is really important because I think if you're going to be in this business, it's a really difficult business. You know, you got to make sure that you're enjoying what you're doing or else, you know, why? <laughs> so I'm curious um, around your portfolio, right? I know you talked about marketing and that that is what Meredith, Meredith does for you, but you have to get materials and imagery and footage to her. How do you and John think about crafting that material that she then is going to send out to the world to get you that next job? Talk a little bit about how you guys craft that and how you think about it. So we do a combination. Um, Sometimes we, we will, um, market, you know, send her actual finished stuff from jobs, you know, and she looks at everything too, but, um, you know, jobs that are relevant that we think are in, you know, that are showcasing our best work. But a lot of the time in between those jobs, um, we rely on personal projects for marketing. So we will research different companies, even just different people, and then, and find ones that are doing you know what that dovetail with our mission really nicely that we're interested in and then we'll go out and do we really we do a lot of these like little two to three minute short films that's kind of our our niche but we might do a photography series if it lends itself more to that but we just reach out to them and ask them if they're willing to collaborate and a lot of times they are and then we'll spend a couple days shooting and uh a week or two editing and that will be um a marketing piece as well so we don't really delineate anymore between work and personal we just put good stuff out whichever it is I think that's really cool 
so at the end of the day, you have like this right nice piece, right? This kind of like short video. Are you also putting together a sizzle reel that she is sending out or that is being passed around? Um, we have a reel um, which lives on our website. And if we, you know, prior to COVID, if we were doing in-person meetings, we have that reel um, available plus a couple of our like favorite short videos also available if people request. Um, we haven't been doing in-person meetings since since COVID and I'm not sure how that's going to pan out eventually, whether people will go back to them or not, we're kind of waiting to see, but, um, but yeah, we do have a sizzle reel, although we tend to rely more on one or two of the, because the videos are so short and people kind of get into them right away. Like we like to show the arc of how we tell a story. So we rely more on just a couple of actual examples than our sizzle reel overall. Awesome. I'm also curious about when you're sitting down with someone, say it is a uh, I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter if it's personal or work, but what is your process for working with someone to tell that story, that compelling story that you're telling within such a short time frame, right? You're telling a complete arc within two to three minutes, which is a craft unto itself. How do you get to that point? That's a good question. Um, we So we start just by having a conversation uh, however long it needs to be because we want to be able to understand as much about um, the company or the person or whatever story we're telling as we can. And then um, after that, we, we just kind of naturally start to look at, all right, what are the, what are the high points that we really want people to know about? You know, what are the five or six things that we, that we think will flesh out this arc? Cause the, the, the hardest thing is, is leaving stuff out, but we have to. And so that's kind of, you know, the interview process that we do for the, for the narrative with, with the people tends to be long and, and is, and because we're just interested. So we get chatting and that's how we loosen them up. So if our interview is an hour, hour and a half, we're going to take whole two minutes out of that. Um, that's the most challenging thing because a lot of these companies or these people would be fantastic for like a documentary, but you know, an hour or so, but that's just not what, I do. So um, it's really about distilling how they say, how they're, how they answer the questions and, um, and the information down into as succinct and clear a thing as possible, which, which I really like, but you also have to throw away a lot of really cool stuff or not, not include it. Um, so we have a long chat with them. And then we, the three of us do, um, we don't, unless we're re we're asked or required or we're working with an agency, we don't typically do really in-depth storyboards. That's just kind of not the way we work. Like we can do it, um, but we tend to look at the story and then just, um, I don't know, just naturally kind of put it together in our heads. So what when we are, which is not helpful to a lot of people I know, but the storyboarding for me, like, Sometimes I'll use it as a, as kind of an overview or like a, you know, a basic map, but we constantly deviate. Like we're very, we're very on the fly workers. Like when we get there, we see this thing. Oh, cool. Or we hear something in the interview that we wasn't mentioned before. Oh, cool. We're going to add, add that. So we, we like to be flexible and that makes some clients really nervous. So depending on how nervous they are, we will um, storyboard in more detail and then or not depending, but if they're really nervous, we'll storyboard it in more detail and then we'll still shoot as we normally do. And most of the time we'll add that new stuff in and deviate from the storyboard and they love it. 
So we always, yeah, but it's just too hard to explain. You know, it's really hard to translate like words into video, you know, so it's hard to explain some of the ideas we have. We just have to show them and, and, you know, and hope that they trust us um, to get what they need, which they do. So um, yeah. And then what we do when we're on set is we, we typically ask to do the interview first before we shoot anything else uh, because we learn a lot in the interview. And then we also have a kind of a working knowledge of what we have to work with. Like I can, I can pick out really good sound bites just as I'm interviewing somebody. And then that often dovetails with the B-roll that we shoot later. So it's a very organic kind of way of working. Um, and we ask for a couple of days and we, you know, and we ask for, um, you know, kind of free range to, to do B-roll. So it takes more time, I think, than, than storyboarding it straight out. But I also feel like one of the things we're really um, passionate about and really, um, we really want to come across is, is the authenticity of it. And sometimes the best way to do that is just to go in with an open mind and see what happens and you get some really interesting sound bites and, and uh, interesting stories that you wouldn't know existed if you had, were just following this really strict storyboard. Well, and I like that you also allow for kind of that organic change and shift, like the, yeah. the un you, you're expecting the unexpected, yes. I guess is yes. a good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I love that you're giving yourself that time and range of time, right? Like you said, that B-roll can take a few days because you just want to be there and be in it and be open to the opportunity of things coming your way. Yes. Which then I'm very curious about your equipment and your crew. Is it just the two of you out there doing it or do you bring more people? And especially when it comes to video and sound, um, I know that sound is super important, right? So not only do you want to mic your interviewee up, but when, if you're like out in the field or you're in that industrial space, are you bringing extra like sound technician to get certain sounds of like the tractor or, you know, the, the milling machine, things like that? Yep. That's a good, that's a good question. So we, uh, depending on the scope of the job, it's either John and myself and Meredith or John and myself only, or the three of us plus however many assistants we may need for that job. So it really, um, it really depends, but we are, like we say, small, but mighty, like we are very light on people and gear, which for the most part I see as um, actually a positive. It tends to make uh, our clients more comfortable than if we're rolling in with like a 20 person, like they're just not those kind of clients, you know, they don't, they don't care. They don't want us to like stop their whole, their whole, um, you know, operation and, and roll in with the, with the trailers. So, um, that's just not who we work for. Um, John is our sound guy. He's very good at sound. Uh, I do the camera work and Meredith does, you know, all of the producing, keeping us on track, keeping, making sure the next person's available, all that sort of thing. Typically, uh, we will hire just some assistance to help us move gear or a second camera if we need but we're actually pretty good at running two cameras and sound with the two of us <laughs> um at least for the interviews and then the b-roll we switch um you know john will shoot i'll shoot um we'll run sound simultaneously or we'll even just do at this point you know put a put a mic on the camera for the the like you know the tractor noise or whatever it's plenty plenty good enough for that so and we shoot with sony so we're DSLR, um, and uh, I don't know what our mic stuff is at this point, but it's pretty high quality. So yeah, 
we're very light on our on our feet which you know it makes for long days and we get we get tired but we we like having we we like not disrupting the space as much as we can i think that's part of the key to the type of type of stuff that we get yeah the words that come to mind when you say that is that you're nimble and you have a light footprint Yes, that's perfect. That says it better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I think gets back to kind of the heart of the things that you talked about originally when you were thinking about Buck the Cubicle, which is the things that you're passionate about. And one of those things being like the environmental footprint. And so that is definitely something that comes to mind when you're like, we are, you know, small but mighty. I'm like, well, you don't have a lot of carbon footprint if it's the two of you and you're already living together. Um, yeah. And you're already traveling yeah, in, in our one car. Here. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it, and that is, you know, that's a really good point. It's like we did make a conscious effort when we were starting this business to um, to make sure that we're going to live by the principles that we um, that were that we're holding up in these other companies. I mean, there's a there's a thing called greenwashing. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's basically when a company is saying that they're doing all this environmental stuff and they're, or they're, they're doing this justice stuff or they are diverse or blah, 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 whatever the hot marketing topic is, uh, the hot issue is at that point, but they're really not doing it. They're just doing a little bit and making it a bigger deal than it is. So it's, I wouldn't say false advertising, but it's misleading advertising. And we're very, very sensitive to that, whether it be, um, what we're doing in our own life or um, the story that we're going to tell. Like we vet our clients very carefully to make sure that we're not contributing to greenwashing um, if at all possible. So, um, so yeah, we, you know, we have a very small footprint here. Meredith lives in Bellingham and has a, you know, she's got her garden and we have our garden and we have, you know, whatever we do. We try really hard to live by, live by the same standards as the people we're working for. So, yeah that does uh, play into the small footprint. And I think our clients, I mean, they're, they're a lot of business to business. We do work with agencies um, sometimes, but a lot of it is in-house marketing and they're, it doesn't make them more comfortable to have us roll in with a 20 person crew. Like there are some clients and some shoots where that's what they absolutely need, you know, but our clients are, are not, uh, that's not going to make them feel settled. They're, um, they're more likely to work with us if we're smaller. That's just what we figured out over time. So it works well for us because that's just kind of our, our niche at this point. We enjoy that challenge. So I'm curious about the next phase, right? Like obviously we're coming out of a weird like two year period and um, you're kind of figuring out the next the next phase for Buck the Cubicle. But if you had you know a dream board of like the next client you would want to work with, who is that? Let's put it out to the world and see if they, we can bring them to you. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I, I have to think of a specific client. I mean, it's more, it's more a type of client, I guess I would have to say um, at this point, what we really are interested in doing is telling short, these short stories, like, um, like we've been doing, but where we're really trying to push people to go is to do a series of those. So, you know, if you've got, um, say like Ben and Jerry's, for example, who I love, I grew up in Vermont, I'm, I'm Ben and Jerry's like fan, but I'm also more importantly, a super big fan of their stance on things, which they have held for, you know, decades and decades. And they're a really amazing company. I think that they um, put their money where their mouth is in a, in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, I would love to work for them. What we're trying to get people to do is say like, look, all right, all right, Ben and Jerry's, you, you've got these five initiatives 
that you're working on for social justice and human rights. Um, instead of trying to tell one, tell the story in one short video that you can use for the next year or so, you know, why don't you break up, break it up into 15, 45 second videos that cover a span of time. Does that make sense? So it, instead of doing one thing and using it until it's like beaten to death, do a series, a short series and roll it out over time. Because I'd like, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a documentary, but, but they're all just little short films. And I think that that is something that's powerful in the sense that then you're engaging your audience because of social media and all of these different platforms where you have to have constant new content. You know, some of what our clients will do is take the short video and just that we do and we'll end up, you know, repurposing it into five or six little social media um, appropriate length videos. Does that make sense? So, but you're not really, you're not really telling the story any further by doing that. And I think it's an interesting format to, to do these, these, these series. It's just a matter of convincing people that um, it's worth it financially but also that it's worth it for for the time commitment for to have us come back and forth but i i i'm really interested in that format and i think that it would be a really powerful thing for some of these companies because one of the things that's odd not odd but um that's challenging in this purpose-driven values-driven world is that everything is changing constantly you know it's not like all right I manufacture this and I've done it this way and I'll continue to do it this way. And I need to market that. It's like, there are so many unknowns every day. There's new things being invented. There's new challenges happening in the, in the space. Um, and so it's, it's really an ongoing story. And those, those company, companies are comfortable with that. They're comfortable being in that situation, but the marketing has been caught up where I think we have to make the, audience and the and the people who are invested in this type of work also comfortable with learning about things over time truth and advertising basically for me for this for this particular market marketplace is showing the process showing the challenges showing the failures because that is where you get people really hooked like the audience and your consumers that's where you get them really hooked on on you in a much in a much deeper way by by sharing your failures as much as your successes. Thank you, Jenna. I loved listening to you. And the thing and my takeaway was that it felt like from the very beginning, you kind of went into this business really mindfully and like really thinking about what you wanted to do and who you wanted to work for. And you stuck to it, which I think is a great um it's not easy to do that. <laughs> and it's, a, it's yeah. a great value to have um, as a photographer and a director. Um, and I think with that in mind, my last question would sort of be like, you know, what is that one thing maybe that you didn't think about that you wish you had known before you got into all of this that you could share with the audience? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that first of all, I didn't understand how much of the success in this industry can be chalked up to perseverance. So if you, you know, if however you need to adjust and shift and change 
what you're doing as you go along. Like it's okay. It's okay to change your name. It's okay to change what you want to shoot. It's okay to, to, to shift. Um, as long as you do it intelligently and with research to back it up. Um, I think that people don't understand that, um, you know, it's just, I guess I'll put it this way. The longer you can survive and the longer you can work, the the more chance you have of really being successful. Like it is not a two-year plan here. It's like, I think I didn't feel um, that I was really truly like successful until about a decade into this, you know, and I'm only going on year 12 here. So not that long ago, you know, so part of the, part of the skill set you have to have is, is, is knowing how to persevere, whatever, whatever that means. Um, and that's something that I didn't quite understand when I first got into it, how long it was going to take to really find my stride in this in this industry and that that stride and that particular direction could could change like I didn't ever think that I would be unhappy shooting the stuff that p2 photography was shooting and then just kind of one year I just kind of was like I'm just not feeling this you know so you have to be flexible flexibility and perseverance really are as important as your camera nice that's great Jenna, will you share with everyone how they can find you if they want to reach out or look at your work? Yes. Um, our website is buckthecubicle.com. That's with a B, um, buckthecubicle.com. And we are on Instagram, buckthecubicle. Um, we don't post as frequently as some people, but we are there. And then primarily, actually, we hang out on LinkedIn these days, and we have a page, Buck the Cubicle, but um, you can also find me, Jenna Close, there as well. Um, and that's, yeah, we're kind of focused, that's a whole different discussion, but we're narrowing our focus on social media to kind of streamline, and um, our clients seem to be chattering away on LinkedIn, so that's where we, we are at the moment. Nice. And my email is Jenna, J-E-N-N-A, at buckthecubicle.com, and I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, if, if people have them, people need help with something. Um, I'm always happy to help. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We are focusonwomen.org. You can find us at focusonwomen.org, social media and website. Please reach out to Shelly or myself. If you're interested in being on the podcast or you have great ideas of other people we should be interviewing, we are always looking for new people. Everyone stay safe and keep your creative juices flowing. Thank you.